Well, it is an honour to be hosting our Q&A today, and uh, we've received a bunch of questions. And to start, this is actually a great insight to uh, the love of our pastors, but a lot of people wanted to know, to get the ball rolling, really how it all began for you guys. Um, before we ask a bunch of questions around marriage and whānau and parenting, we just want to find out a little bit about your journey. So, how did you meet, and was it love at first sight? Is that even a real thing? And so we'll ask you, Pastor John, to give your version of events, and then we'll hear the truth from Jillian <laughs> after that. <laughs> well, we met at uh, Jillian's church. She used to go to Greyfriars Presbyterian Church, which is on Mount Eden Road in Mount Eden. And uh, they built a cafe in their basement. It was called Loco Foco. And to open it, they had a combined youth group's car rally. Let's go old school. Anybody remember the combined youth group car rally? Come on, all my 40s people out there. I feel you. And so uh, I turned up at the combined youth group car rally, uh, you know, end event. I've been actually um, somewhere else that, that evening, but I came to the cafe. And my, one of my good friends that I was doing ministry with uh, was trying to chat Jillian up. And so I sat at the same circular table, and I thought, firstly, this girl is way above his level. He, he's not going to. He's not going to get. He's not going to get success here. And secondly, she was just so beautiful that I actually couldn't make eye contact with her. I'm, I'm actually pretty shy, uh, and so, uh, and so I was like, especially around girls. So I was like, you know, I just couldn't. I couldn't really look at her. But he struck out about a month later, and I commiserated with him for a, an appropriate period of time, and um, and then began to make my move. Yeah. yeah, which took a long time, by the way. Yeah. And was incredibly expensive. Okay, Jillian. <laughs> well, at the time, I, I wasn't looking for a relationship. I was just wanting to pursue Jesus. And so I wasn't... Oh, wow. Said every hot Ooh. Christian girl ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, he had to work quite hard to get my attention. But there was definitely something about him. And um, I'll never forget when he, he came to pick me up. We were going to do this ministry event together. And he was driving a van, a white van, and I was waiting for him outside the house, and the sun was setting, and up he comes across the crest of the hill with the van, the sun was setting, it hit the ginger hair, and I was like, what a manly man, what a manly man, he can drive a van, I'd never seen anyone drive a van. He's a man like, with a van! I was like, that is cool, I really like this guy. <laughs> I think that that is an encouragement to some young men out there. The next time you get asked by James Duxfield to drive a van for a rise care, the Lord has got your back. For our production team, you got your van. That's amazing. Production boys in a rise score good. They do well. <laughs> they get good. Yeah, they Bunch marry above, above their level, yeah, I'm telling you. It's yeah. true. Join the production team. If you can't get, you know, join the production team. It works good. <laughs> Well, now 25 years down the track, what's, what's one great quality, one attribute about each other that you love so much? Jillian, can you start? Um, well, there's a lot of things to love about Johnny, um, but the one thing that's really stood out to me over many years is, has been his um, generosity. He is the most unselfish person that I know, and uh, he has always been generous. He would buy me a gift every week when we were dating. It wasn't always an expensive one, some were, but there were just like a single flower or just a really thoughtfulness behind that, the gifts. And when we first got married, and um, some of you know the story, but we were quite tight financially, essentially living on faith, and he would always say to me, I want you to have what you need. 
I want you to have what you need first. And so that meant that basically he got nothing the whole year. <laughs> um, but he would always put my needs first and look after me. And that generosity and that unselfishness, I think, has been um, something that's been really special and beautiful about John the whole way through. And I think it's come into our marriage and it's come into our family. And I think it's in our church as well, that generosity. It's been really beautiful. Well, I think, thank you, darling. Um, I think for me, uh, yeah, there's obviously just so much I love about Gillian, but when I want to put that into words of one thing, for me that would definitely be that um, Gillian is incredibly uh, careful or wise with what she says to me. Um, and I think a lot of people aren't. And uh, that creates a lot of pain in a lot of marriages. Um, but Gillian uses her words very carefully. She has an incredible gift of knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and when not to say it. And um, her words of encouragement, her words of life into me, her words of affirmation, this is a very, very public thing that we do, and it, it, it it gets a lot of encouragement, which is wonderful. Um, and it has a lot of challenges as, as well and a lot of criticism. And the things Gillian said to me in so many moments of my life have been incredibly key to me um, being resilient, uh, guarding what is in me and helping me to keep going. Yeah. And I've just been, and, and in our children's lives as well. Normally when our kids are facing major crises and they bring it to the both of us, I just sit back to say what Gillian will say first. Because I've probably got the wisdom to get them out of it, but she's got the words to guard their heart in the middle of it. And that's been a tremendous blessing for me. I love you so much. You guys have been, uh, for my wife, Amy and I, you actually took our pre-marriage counselling 14 <laughs> years ago. Uh, and we're also present when I was abducted by my friends on my stag do. We uh, helped organise it. Yeah, <laughs> no, not not the stag do, deniable pause. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. But the abduction was on their final night of marriage counselling. They finished as Ben's friends came over the fence yeah. of all sides of our property and abducted him mid-air, as I remember, yeah, jumping correct. over one of our yeah. fences. You got tackled. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I'm just still dealing with that. and uh, We had to make sure they didn't come too early because that was the sex conversation. We needed to fully equip you and yes, Amy for that thank one. thank you for that. It's, you have three children. Clearly well. our job yeah. is done. So it's a great example of a healthy relationship and marriage for us. Have you got any sort of inspirational couples or uh, healthy marriages that you've gleaned from and uh, learned from? Oh, for us, absolutely. That's been pastors Paul and Marie Dion. Um, uh, when I started in ministry, I learned a lot about how to do ministry, but the people I was around, to be honest, their marriages probably weren't that great, um, and their families weren't necessarily families that we wanted to emulate. And when we first met Pastors Paul and Marie, we just couldn't believe how nice they were to each other, um, how pleasant it was to be in their home. And so we literally just channeled into that and they've been part of our journey the whole way through i tell the church this all the time but they actually can fire us from this job um and you know paul has you know given us counsel encouragement he's told me off on numerous not numerous but a couple of times a couple of times which i was quite happy about yeah yeah i, I mean just in the first year i think of arise he said to me once 
you will never speak to your wife that way again, you know? And I'm so grateful for that, you know, just a word of encouragement from someone that I needed to hear that in that moment. But we were just still detoxing, you know, a decade of seeing ministry life, ministry marriage the wrong way. It's been a blessing. Amazing. Thank you. We'll dive into a bunch of marriage questions. We've um, kind of compiled them around for the early season, newly married. We've got a bunch in that topic, and then for maybe marriages that are in a, a challenging season right now. But before we get into those specifics, why is it important to tend to our marriage? For everything that vies for our attention, my career, my kids, my hobbies, the TV, the phone, why tend to my marriage? Pastor Gillian, can you help us with that? Great. It's such an important thing, tending to your marriage. And uh, I love Proverbs where it says, he who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. And people want the fruit, but they don't want the work. Um, And you don't get the fruit without tending to the tree. So you're you know, the beauty of your marriage is found in doing the work. Tending is paying attention, yes. putting in time, being deliberate. Tending is a verb. It's an action. Yes. Um, and, you know, the Bible says don't just love with words, but in action. Yes. And I think when we're tending our relationships, we will get fruit from them. Um, the other thing about tending is it takes time. And sometimes we want to do something nice and turn our relationship around straight away. Right. But the problem is that fruit grows over time. And so if there is decay in our relationship or if there is fruit, that's a result of actions over time. And so if we want to see our marriage turn around, then we need to keep tending it regularly, consistently, and then the fruit will grow. Yeah, so it's very important. That's amazing. Okay, well, let's focus in on uh, maybe newlyweds or that first few years of marriage. And number one, if uh, I'll ask you both, can you offer one piece of advice to a newly married couple? Pastor John, can you start? <laughs> Good luck. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, I think, look, when you get married, I, I think uh, probably the first thing that comes to my mind, I think this is really, really important, is um, most married couples get married, and because they're in love, they think they can communicate. Let me be very clear. There is a massive difference between being in love and being effective communicators. My strong advice to every newly married couple would be, assume you don't know how to communicate. Believe that you don't, and then make that first little period of time of your marriage, those first three years, devoted to actually saying, we're going to learn how to talk to each other. And there's a lot to that. There's so much that we could unpack but I think that that is a very, very important premise. Put time into that, make sure you structure that, um, and have that as a a core goal of that first period of time. I think um, money is a huge source of conflict early on in a marriage, Um, and I think you have to have a budget, and you need to set up a budget really quickly, um, so you're both on board with what you're doing with your money. The other thing that we did, which helped us a lot, was we set a spending limit of what one person could spend without the other person knowing. And if you went over that amount, you had to text and get, hey, is this cool if I spend this money? And they were on board with that. Because I think a lot of conflict is that someone goes and spends all the money and they weren't, you know, and then suddenly you've got nothing left. Um, And it happens. But I think those things, those simple um, budgets and and boundaries around your finance avoid a lot of conflict. Yeah, that's great. We'll stay on the finance one for a moment, Pastor John. Um, Someone has asked, actually, when we get married, should we immediately join our accounts, put all our money in in one place, 
or shall we keep them separate and you keep what you earn and I keep what I earn and we kind of run it that way as a newly married couple? Right, right. I think the answer to that question predates marriage. What is marriage and why are we getting married? Marriage is a covenant in the sight of God and it's a covenant that we enter into for the rest of our lives. And if we don't have that mindset, don't get married. Like that's where the decision's gotta be made. Once that big rock is clear, I am with you for life, rich or for poorer, better or for worse, sickness or in health, then once those decisions are made, then once we get married, there is no you and there is no me, there is only we. The two shall become one. By the way, if this doesn't come out clearly in a question, let me just say that. Two become one means one becomes 0.5. Get ready for part of you to die if you want to have an effective marriage. Give up half of you if you want your, your new marriage to be successful. Um, so when it, comes to ma- when it comes to money, obviously all the money comes together and we have one set of bank accounts because there is no her money and my money, there is only our money. I mean, now, Jillian and I, you know, we're in a place where we have pocket money that's ours. <laughs> in our first few years of marriage, it was more like, can we eat tomorrow? You know, uh, it's, a, it's a sign of relative prosperity, I suppose. But, but now we have pocket money. Jillian can save that, spend that. But the truth is that all the money is ours. Right. So all the bank accounts are ours. Really helpful. We hear a lot in uh, that new season of marriage about prioritize your marriage, so into this marriage, this relationship. So uh, can you help us practically understand what that means? So what does that mean in terms of my other friendships, my hobbies, um, the other parts of my life? What is it to practically sow into my marriage? Absolutely. I mean, there are so many ways that we can sow into our marriage. Um, probably we'll talk about this more later, but listening is very important, being able to listen in your marriage. Um, planning. Planning is very important. John's always been a planner, but date nights don't just happen Quality time together doesn't just happen. If we don't have a plan, other people will take that time, you know, as you said, hobbies and demanding relatives or whoever it may be in your world. If you haven't got those things locked in, then um, you won't be able to sew in because you haven't got a plan to be together. Right. And John's always been really good at locking in time where we'll specifically be together. The other uh, thing I think is really important to sew in, and I, I feel like... This is actually something that people do, is they become very familiar with the people that they live with, and so they treat everybody else with kindness, but not their family or their spouse. They're like, you're committed to me, I'm familiar with you, so I don't have to really go out of my way to be kind, but I think the kindness is a huge part of the marriage flourishing. Um, And, you know, just one thing, like, you think of um, Titanic and Leonardo DiCaprio is like, you can have the piece of wood and stay alive and I'll just die. But we we can think that, you know, love and the strength of a marriage is this grand gesture, that we're going to do this one grand gesture and everything's great. But I think it's the little things, Um, you know, making a cup of tea, listening, taking that time to um, hear what the person's saying and just being together and it really makes such a difference when we don't treat each other with familiarity, Great. but we're kind to each other, and that will sow a huge amount into our marriage. Well, let's talk a little bit about listening then, um, and this will span any season of marriage, not just the first few years. How do we listen better? What, what does that look like? What have you guys done to be better listeners in your marriage? 
Well, I think we're back on communication, you know, which is just so central to an effective relationship and an essential marriage, um, is the ability to communicate. And one of the key things to that is learning to listen. Um, I think for me, what I had to learn in marrying Gillian was I had to learn so much about listening. The first thing that I had to do was to teach myself to listen for the sake of making sure that I understood. I used to listen for the sake of being able to answer. And there's a big difference. You know, husbands out there, let me just remind you, when your wife tells you about what's going on in her day, the problems that she's experienced, she doesn't need an answer for tomorrow. She needs empathy for today. And that's a big, big change. It's a big change when you just actually start to listen to understand what the person is trying to say rather than provide answers. The second thing that I had to learn about listening was that I wasn't trying to win. You know, like we, we were just trying to, when we first got married, we're both highly competitive people. And in the first, you know, few years of our relationship, communication was about winning. And we're both right. very driven, very, very, you know, competitive people. So that was the way that we communicated. So then I had to learn that listening was about seeking to understand and now it's just ingrained in me, which has been great. It's blessed every relationship in my life. But I've had, I had to learn that when Jillian was speaking, I had to say, not what is she saying, but what is she meaning? Not what are her words, but what is her heart? And then, and then in listening, I was list, trying to listen for that. And then my first goal was to feed that back. So then just to say, wow, what I'm hearing you say is X, Y, Z. And I can't, I mean, it's not like this was instant for us. Not like I read a book and then next Tuesday we had a Barney, you know, a fight and then I just fed that back and everything was diffused. It was more like (laughs) I started to get better at this and it took literally probably years, you know, to really cement this to the point where now I just listen for what she's trying to say. And unless I'm really tired, I, I would do this most of the time. Yeah, do well. That's good. Is that, is that a good idea? Yeah, that's that awesome. Sense? Very helpful. Uh, so maybe now talking about some um, a range of questions where people have been so open, so vulnerable to say our, our marriage is struggling at the moment for whatever reason. So we'll start with this one. Over time, things can grow a little stale. Uh, so I'm looking for creative ways to express my love for my spouse. How can we keep the romance alive? Um, don't feel like we're as in love as we used to be. Gillian, can you help with that? Okay, well, um, some of us might not be spontaneous, but spontaneity is important in relationships, so plan to be spontaneous. Um, I think John would say that I change my mind a lot, that I'm a woman, that one year I like one fragrance, the next year I like another, that I, I like different things at different times, and I think we both are changing. And so spontaneity is important of understanding uh, the change in our spouse as well as being able to... Um, act on that change. The other thing is people say variety is the spice of life, and I think it is. I think if things have got stale, maybe you need to um, put some effort into thinking about new ways to do things. You know, how, how can you make the romance come back? You might not always feel in love, but you can't, you, feelings are important. Like, we don't stay married because we feel in love, but you want to have romance and right. have that feeling. Like, yeah. so do whatever you can to create it. Go out of your way to make it happen, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. It takes work, though. It does. And John, I mean, someone has written in saying, I feel like I'm, I'm putting in the work uh, to make our relationship better, but I'm not getting anything back. 
So really they're asking, is it time to give up? Am, am I done now? As a, married, as a married couple, can you answer that? Well, firstly, I think if you're giving everything to a marriage and getting nothing back, that's super tough. And we need to be very clear, there are some lazy, selfish people out there. And it's really difficult to be married to someone like that. If you are one of those people out there and you happen to be hearing this talk today, I would just say, if your marriage ends, your life will never be the same again. The greatest economic impact that you can have in your lifetime is divorce. The greatest challenge you can ever face is the end of your marriage. And that's not to, to heap on people, it's just to say, if you are that person, wake up and realize that, that this is not a good direction. Your procrastination, I read Proverbs this morning and the writer, the, the writer is obviously the voice of the Lord and he's just saying, how long will you foolish love your complacency? Marriages don't prosper when you're complacent. Right. You are always sowing. If you are the person who is sowing and you're not getting anything back, my first encouragement would be there is seed, time, then harvest. So keep sowing and go through the journey of time and then you reap. That's the way life works. I mean, I've told the story, uh, I think just a couple of weeks ago about how um, when we got married, my words were not like Jillian's words. So my words were harsh and critical. And, you know, three years into our marriage, Jillian started to be critical towards me. And I was like, Lord, what's going on here? And the Lord just said to me, you're reaping what you've sown. It was a great rebuke from the Lord, but it also meant I had to start sowing new seeds that didn't bear harvest. I've been been sowing for three years. I had to sow new seed to get us out of that season of of our marriage. And I would say the same thing for you. Keep sowing, keep believing, keep going, keep keep being purposeful about what you're doing. Um, And then let's just be really clear. If you have an apathetic spouse, there is a point where you have to actually say, hey, the way you are treating me, you've checked out from this marriage and this is an issue. Boundaries are real. You've got to put up something and right. say, hey, listen, this is not tolerable. We can't just live here forever. This has got to be addressed and you can't just, you know, you, you, God doesn't want you to walk away from a marriage. The Bible says love never gives up, right. but God doesn't want you being a doormat either. So then you have to kind of raise those issues and lift them up for the person to be able to deal with. Well, on that, that might help us lead into um, a really big topic that came in and questions around conflict resolution um, and how to deal with um, that. Because if you're going to raise that, that's going to raise some conflict. There's going to be tension. So what if uh, I always feel like we're in conflict? We're always fighting. Um, you know, what can we do about that? And what's the point? Where's the moment where we know we need some help here rather than this is normal conflict? Absolutely. Look, I mean, conflict is part of every relationship. And John and I have conflict. But really, it comes down to are you having conflict or are you fighting? And the two are quite different because fighting is, as John said, the competition, the vying to get the barbin, you know, whereas conflict is hopefully towards resolving an issue. Um, So one of the things that I read about and which we've done in our marriage is sometimes, especially us women, um, we can take the issues and we're starting to get into a conflict and we begin to fight by saying, it's not just one thing, it's all these things. You're doing this, 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 and this. And so we make the fight about so many issues that we've put blood in the water and you're never gonna see, you know, you're never gonna see the clarity that you need. Um, So one thing to do 
is to say, what's the one thing in this relationship that I really want to see changed? What's the one thing that's really bugging me, that's really getting me down, that's causing me to get frustrated or upset? And then sit down and talk about the one thing. But when we, we you know, then you can resolve that because how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. So deal with the biggest problem first and then try to resolve that. you know, it's, it's really important that we don't just throw in issue after issue wow. because then we become, I think that when we do that, we're doing it because we're offended and we're bitter and we haven't really dealt with that bitterness over the fact that they haven't done this or they've done that or they didn't let you know they weren't coming home from dinner. Every little thing can cause this bitterness and this offense and then when we come into it, we're ready to fight. Yeah. Look, <laughs> we have to deal, whether it's husband or wife, with the bitterness ourselves we have to deal with that offense because otherwise it will cause a problem. Mm. You know, David and Mikhail were quite a classic example where in their marriage, he went away and he left her behind and he comes back and claims her as his wife, but she can't forgive him. So he comes dancing into the city and she looks down at him, the Bible says, with bitterness. And from that moment, she was physically barren. Wow. But you see, when we come to our relationships with bitterness and offense that we're not dealing with, there will be a barrenness that's sort of emotionally created in the relationship. Wow, and right. that's kind of like a death to the ability to, to yeah. let the relationship have life. Yeah. So I think it's really important. If we're going to have conflict, deal with the bitterness, deal with the offense, be forgiving, be forgiving as much as you can. And then, and then talk about the biggest issue. And then once you've done that, if you come to some form of re- resolution, you'll be able to deal with other smaller issues. Right. But sometimes you need help. Um, sometimes you can't fix yeah. it on your own. Yeah. And I would say that when you know you need help is when you fight all the time and it becomes very personal. Yeah. Um, you're not just dealing with issues or when you never seem to get resolution. Yeah. So right. if you can't get resolution on your own, if you can't um, stop fighting, then, then please get help. And many, many yeah. people we know have had marriage counseling and even if their you know, marriage was good, it's made it great because someone else, a third party, can give us the wisdom and the right. skills that we don't always come equipped with, you know? We don't come with a manual, unfortunately, do totally. we? Yeah. <laughs> and Pe- it's so good. People will jump in and get a personal trainer, a finance advisor, right. but they won't go see a counselor. And at the end of the day, it's the same thing. I, go, I pay a guy to work out with me because he can help me to work out because that's his, what he's trained in. And I pay a finance advisor because they help me to structure my finances so that I'm going ahead in the right direction. And it's good to pay a counselor to help you to fix things that they've got all this learning on. (laughs) And no one gave you an instruction manual on how to fix every problem in your marriage. So just get some outside help. Can I just talk about conflict for just a minute and just say one of the things that Jillian and I did, because like we said, we're both very strong people. And where we're at now, tell Bob I said hi. But um, where where we're at now in our relationship is that 90% of our conflicts will kind of like start and just as they're kind of climbing and the emotions nearly kicking in, uh, 25 years in, what we'll do is we'll go, is this even really a thing? You know, what are we actually talking about here? I can't remember when we started this. And then it'll just fizzle out. It'll drop right away. But back here, it was like Mount Vesuvius. You know what I mean? Like... (laughs) And we've worked, so one of the things that we did that helped us to get from there to where we are now is that we used to, um, uh, we've had this thing with, we just have a pen or a spoon, you know, whatever you can find, not a fork or a knife, nothing sharp that can, you know, leave those ones out, but we would, but we'd have a pen and the only person who could speak is the one who had the pen. 
I can't tell you how helpful that was. You cannot speak unless you have the pen. And you, you can hold the other person to account. You, you lose your pocket money if you speak when I have the pen, whatever, you know. But you got, you got the pen. And then once you've finished, they hand it to the other person. And the first thing you have to do when you get the pen is feed back what the other person has been saying to you. Right. Nice. So you're listening to understand, not to argue. And honestly, I think that would help a vast number. You're like, John, that's structured. That's, you know, whatever. Is what you've got going on now better? It's not. So just employ the discipline and do the task. And if, you, if you're in a spot where you can't do that right now, so we're not going to talk about that. In this environment, we can't pass the pen. Let's keep that and we'll save it till later. Wow. And then I promise you that'll help. That's so good. It's so good to hear things that have helped you guys personally. And we're so grateful for your openness. <laughs> Um, th this is a I very specific. <laughs> I remember the years of the, the years pen. of the pen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. No Q and A's about um, marriage during those years. Oh no, no, we were youth <laughs> pastors. <you know? laughs> this is a very specific question um, uh, that did come in from a few people. So, um, Pastor John, can you help us with this? If myself or my spouse have been viewing pornography, is this a problem uh, now that we're married? If so, why is it a problem, and how can we overcome this problem? So John gets the porn question, hey? That's the way, that's <laughs> yeah. the way it goes. John gets the porn question. Okay, well, let me just be really honest with you. Everybody, this is so important that you hear this. Porn kills love. I want to be abundantly clear about that. Right. You can have pornography or you can have intimacy, but you cannot have both. Wow. Pornography is a distortion of intimacy. It is not real. It is a destroyer of neural pathways in your mind. It is going to mess with your life. It is going to rob your marriage of intimacy. There is no way that pornography is going to help you in any area of your life. It is what the Bible says that we should run from. Right. And the Bible says the righteous never run except this one thing. Run from sexual temptation. And let's just get really clear. When it comes into a marriage, when pornography is in your marriage, it is going to hinder intimacy, relationship, sexual fulfillment. It is going to distort your view. And we're, you know, this is a real issue that is messing people up, where it is influencing people's perception, even of what sexual intimacy looks like. You're supposed to figure that out together. Right. And then your sex life will be good when you get married and great when you've been married for 20 years because you go on a journey of it improving. Right. And pornography will distort, pervert, and destroy that beautiful sexual union journey God has you on. So there's no place for porn in marriage or outside of it. If you are in marriage and you are struggling with pornography, let me just say, you're not evil. You know, you know, this is a massive problem, a powerful spiritual attack. We have small groups in every campus of Arise devoted to getting people free and hundreds of people every year in our church get free from pornography. You can be free from porn if you will have the courage to simply just be able to identify that this is a struggle only with people that you can trust that are in your spiritual upline and we can get you in the right group. We won't right. advertise it. We don't put these groups on Instagram, but we're gonna get you free and your life will never so be the good. same again. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Thanks Just one give God a clap Come for on, that one. Amen. Come on, man. We're gonna change some Freedom. Life. Amen. Yeah. Uh, just one quick thing to add. Um, obviously, it's an addiction and there is a, a chemical hit to the yes. brain. There is a release. Often the root of um, sexual sin can actually be personal rejection. Yes. 
Often right. we're looking for a way to make ourselves feel good. Um, so deal with the root issue, which is the rejection that you feel in your heart, as well as wow. you know the external fruit of the act. But I would say it's an addiction. So some people, like, they stop their addiction in an instant, and they're fine. Like, but for some people, there's a little bit of a journey where they've got to relearn those habits and be yeah. weaned off. And so if you're a spouse whose spouse is struggling with it, have some grace. Get some support alongside you both, someone maybe who's working through it, especially if it's not an instant fix. Right. Um, you know, find that support, but just have some grace yeah, for the journey awesome. because we want to be able to heal the marriage and yes. heal the people that are addicted. Yes, amen. Yeah. It's awesome, uh, John, that you mentioned life groups, particularly around these significant challenges and finding freedom. But what about for all of us in our marriage as a young married couple or married for 20 years or uh, we've got kids at home? You know, why is it important that we plug ourselves into life groups uh, for our marriage and for our whānau? Isn't it enough that we got here on Sunday and the kids are at Arise Kids, so they're all being looked after? Why, why, why be in a life group as well? Oh, look, I think Chris and uh, George. George, sorry, George, had a mind blank there, uh, you know, have already talked about this so well today, the power of life groups. The people closest to you will decide the most about you. So make sure that the people that are in your world are gonna help you to get better. If you want your marriage to get better, be in a life group because it's gonna help you to improve. It's gonna normalize issues, you're gonna share information, you're gonna pray together and you're gonna grow. And the same thing for your kids. And when it comes to parenting, if I can just talk about this for a second, start with the big rocks first. Most parents don't do that. I, my heart breaks because I have two dynamics that I see as a pastor all the time. The one dynamic that I see and honestly, my heart goes out to this, as I watch parents arrive in Arise Church every Sunday with teenage children who don't wanna go to the church that they have been attending, and so mum and dad come to Arise hoping that their kids will bond with the youth that are here and that their faith will be rejuvenated. The second thing that I see is I see mums and dads who stop coming to church and stop being in life groups, they pull back from church life more and more And I just think, he who sows the wind reaps the whirlwind. And the reality is, when you're, what man would give his life, and what could you give in exchange for your soul? So with my parenting, number one, I want my kids to love Jesus. I'd like them to go to university, but I want them to love Jesus more. I want them to have enough money to be prosperous, but I want them to love Jesus more. At the end of the day, that's the way that I've built my parenting from day one, is to make sure these kids love Jesus, and the best way I can do that is to get into a great church and be planted there because what they see in me is what they're gonna emulate. And if you make church optional, they're gonna say your faith is not important to you. So put the big rocks in first and build your life from there. Yeah, come on. Amen. Well, let's, let's spend our last few minutes focusing on Fano and on family. And I mean, one question that came in is, uh, it feels like fatherhood, fathers in general are not celebrated in society at the moment. Uh, so how can I be a great dad to my kids? What are some tools, some tips that help me be a good dad for my children? Oh, man. Man, I, I think it's, 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 not a, it's not a hugely affirmed role in our society right now of being a dad. And I just wanna say to every dad that is out there, your children are so blessed if you are an active part of their life. I mean, there are so many, it's just, you know, I think your children are blessed, favored, if you are part of their lives. 
if you would be part of their life and daily pray that you'd be a better part of their life, your children are favored. That's all it takes to be a great dad. I don't think great dads are perfect. I think great dads apologize a lot. I've apologized to my children on a regular basis since they were very young. And they don't lose respect for you when you apologize. They gain respect for you when you're willing to acknowledge that that was lesser than behavior. And that's, that's the key thing. Just be in their world, be willing to apologize, show up, be involved. And then obviously what I teach to every dad constantly is what, make what matters to them matter to you. If it matters to them, make it matter to you. And just be in their world, you know. If, it, if they care about it, you care about yeah, it. it. And whatever expression that needs to take, their interests, you care about that. If it matters to them, it matters to you. And that's going to help you to navigate so much of parenting. That is amazing. That's been a great help for me personally as a dad and a, and a husband. That phrase, what matters to you, matters to me is a, a regular one in our home because we've heard it here in a, uh, a relationship series. So we're so grateful for that. Well, to wrap up, um, I'll hand to you, Gillian, first. What are some keys to having a healthy, flourishing home in those years where the kids are living at home? What are some ways that we can make sure our home is one full of life and love and flourishing? Uh, well, I think probably one thing we've always prioritized is the meal table. In church, I think you know how much I love the table <laughs> and sitting and eating meals at the table. And for us as a family, that's been a huge priority. We make sure that dinner time is sacrosanct. We sit down, we talk, we communicate, we look each other in the face, and we really um, ask the questions about their day, ask the questions about what they're into, and take that time to look in each other's eyes. And, you know, in the Bible, there's a they talk about the presence of God a lot, and the presence is the only word they could write down, but in Hebrew, it actually means face, that we would be in the presence, wow. that we would be in the face of God, wow. and I think as parents, we've got to get in the face of our kids, and that means that, um, you know, John has a rule, and we all have this rule now, no technology at the table, no cell phones, so we're not looking at that fa the face of the phone, we're looking in the face of our family, and for us, we've had some amazing discussions around the meal table, um, and we've just being able to take that time. And I think meals together are hugely important, vital. And when John was away and he couldn't be at the meal table, we would FaceTime him in and his little phone face would be there eating dinner with us. <laughs> nice. That's such a big part of our family. I mean, if you have a cell phone on our dining room table, you get told off. I mean, it never happens. It happened once a month ago, eh? about a month ago. One of us, I won't say which one, um, but had their cell phone on the, on the meal table. And our kids are just like, whoa, whoa, no, we don't have cell phones on the meal table. This doesn't happen in this family. Like, it's not just that you're not on it. It can't be on the table. It is, it is away. It is not there. Nice. Um, and then at the, so din the dinner, dinner meal is huge in our family. It is never in front of the television. And it is always everybody now for this half an hour you are at the meal table and most of the time about 90% of the time all the way through we've always just said okay everybody around the table what was your funyun and what was your onion what was what was a highlight from your day what was a low light from your day what made you happy what made you sad however you want to package it and then everybody just goes around we started this when they were like three and we just everybody just shares what was good what was bad in their world 
The other thing that I would just say in terms of making healthy families is board games. Yeah, like not, not something deep, not something hard, but from the time our kids were very little, we just, you know, I, I can't remember the games you play when they're tiny, but whatever it was, we just always had games and then it really reached the zenith when, when I think Lara was six and Will was four and we started playing Monopoly and we, we wore out game boards and now we played so much Settlers of Catan I dream of Settlers of Catan scenarios in the night. But, you know, board games are a great way just to sit around the table and be right. together and just maximizing those moments that right. you are together as a family and communicating you are more important to us than anybody else in the world. Nothing matters as much as you do. I'd drop everything for you. I'd give you everything. That's what your kids have to feel that you're in their world, that they don't ever doubt that, you're on their side in every fight. This is my child and I love you and you matter more to me than anybody else. I, I wanna say this, I, I know we've gone over time, but I just wanna say this, like, if, you, if you're talking to me in a church foyer and one of my two children comes up to talk, I will ignore you to talk to my child. I will do that. I decided that I was gonna do that when they were three and five years old because I realized that there was no more important environment that I was in where there was an either or in my life between the pressures of people's needs in the foyer and the attention of my child. And I can't please everybody. It's like in marriage. Are you gonna please your, your bros or your, or your wife? Right. Young married men. Are you gonna care about what your friends think or what your bride thinks? And you just gotta choose in life. Yeah. This is my family. This is what gets the best of me. And it doesn't mean we don't live lives of purpose, that we aren't compassionate, that we don't care, but your kids need to know you are number one. Your spouse needs to know you are number one. And when we live like that, we build healthy lives.